I am Lemuel Gonzalez, repentant sinner, and along with Amory Armstrong, your heavenly host, I invite you to find a place in the pew for today's painless Sunday school lesson, Without Works. This week, we will begin an exploration of an equally influential and problematic saint in The More You Know. But first, a moment of prayer in not necessarily the good news. On March 24, 2021, Representative James Talrico led the Texas House of Representatives in an invocation at the start of the session. I will read it now in its entirety. Holy mystery, you have so many names. The Torah calls you creator. The Quran calls you peace. The Gita calls you destroyer. The Dharma calls you truth. And the first epistle of John calls you perhaps the most beautiful name of all, love. You are the strange love uniting all things, the love that drew elements together after that big bang, the love that drew life itself from the primordial oceans, the love that drew all of us to this exact moment, the love we were born of, the love we exist in, and the love we will one day return to. In my faith, you expressed yourself through a barefoot rabbi who embodied your perfect love, a crucified carpenter who gave only two commandments, Love God and love neighbor, because there is no love of God without love of neighbor. Help us love not just in word, but in action. Help us honor not just the name of Jesus, but the way of Jesus. Help us free the oppressed, feed the hungry, house the homeless, heal the sick, release the prisoner, welcome the stranger, forgive the enemy, and above all, protect your creation. The word of God is love. Let us not be hearers of your word, but doers of your word in our families, in our communities, and in this chamber, not just with prayers, but with policies, not just personal love, but political love. The word of God is love. Holy mystery, open our minds, open our hearts, open our hands, so that we may build a new world in the shell of the old, a world that is more just, more free, more whole, and more in love with you. In all your many names we pray, amen. Now, this was read in an active session of a state legislator, a state legislature in a country whose constitution explicitly spells out a division between church and state, so I can understand people being upset about the recitation of any prayer in that context. However, the outcry that actually occurred was much different. Representative Jonathan Strickland tweeted, quote, I am disgusted such blasphemy was spoken in the chamber. Lord, forgive us for turning our state over to this trash. Where are the bold followers of Jesus Christ? Now, this is also a man who called the vaccines sorcery, so we don't need to go down his particular rabbit hole, but he wasn't alone in his ire, and there were other supporters that agreed that this, possibly the least offensive, most inclusive prayer that I have ever heard uh, was blasphemy. Uh, let's talk so, about let's talk about it. What do you think I mean, from your point of view now having the experience of all of these uh, episodes, what do you think was so offensive about it to... Oh, well, the fact people? that they mentioned the Torah and the Quran couldn't have been positive. It seems like just acknowledging that there are other religions with different concepts of God 
seem to offend people. Universalist got thrown mm-hmm. around a lot as a slur. I, I think, yeah. So I, th- I think that that's a big part of it. Also... It's very much a Christian prayer, though. Yes, because the man who said it is a Christian. But beyond that, it's a Christian prayer in that it sums up all of these things by interpreting God through Jesus Christ, even though it talks about other people interpret God in different ways. And it uses Christian language. It, it just, it occurs to me that if you think that a prayer that uses the word love like 14 times right. is blasphemy, your religion is probably hate. <laughs> Well, it seems like representing this as trash, which is anybody else's opinion other than not only the opinion of other religions, but unless it follows a strict interpretation that this gentleman, for instance... Well, he's referring explicitly to the representative who spoke it as trash. Which is strange. Not very Christian of him. I'll no, say that. not at all. <laughs> because yeah, I just was like... I have a big problem with the fact that there's a prayer yeah. of any kind at the beginning of a session of the legislature. Right. I do understand Texas is a red state, and but still, that doesn't—that's no excuse. It doesn't it, because it's what it explicit reads, in the Constitution. What it reads is things like this. Yes, where these really negative, sort of hateful opinions of a person who there should never be a state-established religion. No, because there will always be people who are in the minority or who. But clearly. Right. These people who have a problem with this not only believe in a state-sponsored religion, but that it is evangelical Christianity. Right, not <laughs> any other kind of Christianity. Yes. Um, and the extent to which he's quoting Jesus throughout, the, especially the second part of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and our prayer. whole was on debt, right? Like, right. let us do something and not right. just talk about stuff. And that seems to also be what offended them. Like, yeah. Well, I I don't understand why he's talking about working hard. I don't under, I I don't understand the attitude that says that somehow everything will fix itself if we don't fix it. Yeah. I don't understand the attitude that um, says that Jesus take the wheel. Ever <laughs> hear of it? Yeah, but I don't I, even drive my car anymore. I just cross my arms in front of me and know that the Lord will get me where I want to go. That's kind of the problem. I was talking to a friend of mine about the attitude that I grew up with, with uh, an evangelical family, that there was always the position that somehow God will sort everything out so you don't really have to do anything. But they're also, it's the same people who are like, you don't deserve a handout, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. exactly. What? <laughs> and if God doesn't save you and the state doesn't save you, then you are damned in every possible way, I right. guess? And I don't cool. understand. That's well, it's, cool. Uh, it's a mutation of the faith, as we've discussed, mm-hmm. that is fine with people falling between the cracks. Mm-hmm. Which is something that Jesus Not just relies. fine with it. Right. Relies on it. Yes. So yes, that they true. have something to stand on, and that yeah. something is their neighbors. Right. Yeah. So I don't understand for the life of me why this very obviously Christian prayer is considered a blasphemy. I don't understand because what happens to acknowledge the existence of other religions and other concepts of faith, that's... Who are present right. in our country well, and yes, citizens and they also and need representation too. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to be open-minded about these prayers, then we should have... Representatives of other faiths. Ilhan Omar should get mm. in front of the 
uh, the entirety of, or, or Rashida Tlaib should mm-hmm. get entire, in front of the entirety of the House of Representatives and do a, uh, a, a, a prayer, in, a, a Muslim prayer in Arabic. There's no reason why she shouldn't if we're representing, if religion is represented um, or in, at uh, all. Her, she's from uh, Somalia, right? Mm-hmm. So do it in Somali. I, I, I don't know. Um, do it, <laughs> even though don't do it, because I don't think you should be praying in the same Congress. But the problem is, we have a myth here in this country. Oh, so many. And that myth is that the foundations of this country were by people who were given the divine, divine right, excuse me, divine right to, uh, that this was granted to them. This was a promised land, like what was promised to the Jews in the Old Testament. And so the end result is an attitude that says God is guiding us, and so we don't have to listen to these other voices. Now, mind you, this is a myth, because if we follow that logic, then God also guided people towards genocide and uh, slavery, uh, which we know that God does not do. But they, that was an argument for both of those right. things, and continues to be an but argument it's, for That's the those reason things. why we have these prayers, because it is part of this myth that invokes God as being the reason why we're, we are... Uh, well, we, not even me, I don't count, uh, why the United States is in charge of this country and is foremost in the world, so to speak. Yeah, best uh, country in the world, except um, Jeff Daniels will tell you it is. It, it, <laughs> I don't think that any kind of claim to holiness can be made by any country. And I think that's also something else to explore at some point, just the, the notion that we seem to believe here. Or that, and I don't. I have to exclude myself in that we, that a great many citizens of the United States believe that their place in the world is divinely um, appointed. And so, if you look at it that way, yes, any criticism of the government and any criticism of governmental authority and the way that it runs things is uh, contradicting God and contradicting God's manifest plan. For the United States in giving it supremacy in the world. Agreed. So, yes, we should not be saying prayers, but if we are saying prayers, I'd rather have ones that were inclusive than exclusive. Yes. Yeah. So, same. I agree with you. I just thought this was... It is a lovely a, prayer. It's a beautiful prayer. Right. I was like, oh, I mean, if we're going to do it, this is this is how to do it, but, but don't do it. Blasphemy. It's not. That's. I just love the word when blasphemy just gets thrown. I around. use it a lot, but I use it in in different contexts. It's like, no, no, you actually believe that it's right to exclude people from the church or to overlook child abuse. Uh, you point and yell, blasphemy! Right. That's actually what I would like to do. I would, I would, uh, we could just roll down a window and do drive-by blasphemies, like you. Oh, it's repentance. Right. Next up, let's meet the man of the hour, or the next few hours, in The More You Know. Church attendance is down. People are no longer declaring church or even religious affiliations. Why are people turning from faith and faith communities? Among the valid reasons is a concern about the rigidity of religious dogma and how it discourages and marginalizes some communities. Religions like Buddhism and Christianity started as a rejection of contemporary conservative religious values. In Jesus' time, minor functions of daily life were strictly monitored by religious authority. Sin was everywhere. Not just sins that we think of as deadly sins, but little things. 
Any kind of work on the Sabbath could be a transgression of the law. That could include spitting or a woman wearing a brooch that was over a prescribed amount. Forgiveness of sins was granted by a priest and the proper sacrifice had to be offered to secure God's uh, forgiveness. Or money. You mm-hmm. could buy a dispensation. Yes, you could. Yes, please. I'll take three. <laughs> sins were erased by rituals, the elements of which were purchased at the temple using special temple money. There was an exchange rate for that, too. The more money you had, the more secure you were in God's favor. If you could not afford these sacrifices, you were living in sin, a social outcast. Jesus pushed back, sometimes physically, against the restrictive version of the faith, a belief system meant to exclude people, particularly the economically deprived and marginalized. Jesus bypassed all the trauma and public humiliation for transgressors and went along forgiving people of their sins. Your sins are forgiven, he would say and they felt accepted by God. It cost them nothing except a will to change and sincere belief. I thought America was the first country to, uh, or the first place to criminalize being poor, but apparently no, it's a long and story tradition. It's a long-standing tradition in many times in many places all over the world. And what's very ironic is that, as you inferred earlier, the Catholic Church began selling salvation as well, which is... Give me that dispensation. Teachings of Christ then get used for the exact thing that they were, they were against. Yep. During the foundation of Christianity, so Jesus' kind of Christianity is not what people are rejecting. Where Jesus taught a faith of freedom and liberation, most modern people associate Christianity with conservatism and spiritual inclusion. Excuse me, and spiritual exclusion. Those are the same things that Jesus argued against. Why does Christianity mean misogyny and bigotry to unchurched people? Well, much of it can be put down to the writings of one influential man. His writings took Christianity in decidedly conservative direction. For example, Women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. This is going to be a long five weeks. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is. Here is another example of his spiritual wisdom. He explains the origins of homosexuality. God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received themselves the due penalty for their error. But what's the origin here? So they believe that uh, he believed it was a product of idol worship. God gave them over to shameful lusts. So God made them gay. Yes, that's what they've been saying all all this time. Is that that's how God made them? So stopping there for a moment. (laughs) There are only three specific times where homosexuality is explicitly mentioned in the New Testament. All three specific mentions are negative, and all of them have a single author. Paul the Apostle, formerly Saul of Tarsus. Uh, was he possibly gay? There is are he like some a Republican governor? Believe that. Or a senator? There's some controversy over that, because there are, are some things... Um, is it a doth protest too much situation? <laughs> yes, and we will address that, because we have to address that as a subject. Or was his wife gay? 
Well, we don't know anything about him, whether he had a wife, whether he had children. Anyway. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I thought he might have just been jealous, but maybe he was gay. His story is complicated and his personality is contradictory. He started out uh, uh, as a man persecuting early Christians and then became a staunch and combative Christian convert. He was a proud Jew and a strong believer in the primacy of the Jewish people and their primacy in this new faith. Yet he rejected this eventually, calling his valued religious education fertilizer. So, mm, he's a flip-flopper. I'm going to look at him very much like a politician. There's a lot, there's a lot to look at <laughs> it, that we're going to discover. He feels like a politician. He feels like a man who likes the sound of his own voice. The, you could argue that. And has strong opinions that may change at any moment. I, I look forward to discussing <laughs> this with you because you're coming into it brand new. And when you're discussing Paul with people it tends to get very competitive with Christian people or people raised in the church because a great deal of what we have in the New Testament is written by him or um, attributed to him. Do people know that it's attributed to him or do they just presume if it's in the New Testament, Jesus said it? No, uh, they know it's from him because he wrote his... He uh, wrote his... Okay, uh, I understand that I'm saying when you talk to somebody in the church and you want to argue these points, do they think that the points that they're being made are points that were being made by Paul, or do they just attribute them to Jesus by rote, because that's what they just, and they're not doing the degrading? they know the difference between Paul and Jesus. However, um, when I was reading in preparation for this, and even this afternoon, because I wanted to keep brushing up on this subject, because um, it's a big one, what you get are people being defensive of Paul, claiming that all scriptures are divinely inspired. And so Paul must have been, regardless of the strange things that he says. And it reminds me in some ways, and this is an odious comparison, and of course I think St. Paul has much more to recommend him than Donald Trump, but the way that I had conservative friends for a while who kept saying, well, ignore what he's saying of Donald Trump and Look at the policies and how he's changing things. I'm going, I can't. What he's saying is racist and misogynist. and But also the right. policies he's enacting are racist exactly. and misogynist. But, so it's not like one doesn't belie the other. Right. But it feels very much like that, where I'm, I'm really confused as to where exactly people stand on this issue that doesn't call Paul out for the way that he is. But having read some more... And the idea that if you... It's a don't believe everything you read on the internet, that situation. Just because right. it got put into the Bible does not mean it was well, divinely inspired. Well, also remember, inspired. the Bible was assembled by committee. I know. That's so what I'm saying. That's it. And, and, and I guess it is to the credit of the editors that they put in all the existing documents from that time, from the early church, and sort of put together this narrative. But that doesn't necessarily mean that he was the most important voice or even the voice that was listening, listened to. Mm -hmm. So that's something that we're going to cover as well. See... For 2,000 years, Christians have had to reckon with St. Paul's contribution to the New Testament. He's remembered as a father of the church and its doctrine, but he never met Jesus and only encountered him through a mystical vision. A well, friend, no. A you friend know who once, else had mystical visions? It's John Smith. A friend once described it this way. Jesus was a rock star. Paul was an accountant. Where Jesus tore up the rules and shouted down authority, Paul endorsed new restrictive rules, rules that sometimes he claimed were divinely inspired and equally claimed were his own ideas. Well, so, how could they both be... How could both of those be true? He expresses at times the same idea and then later in another letter will say, 
this is just my idea, it did not come from God. So at least we have the credit for that. Over the next five episodes, we'll talk about St. Paul's controversial ministry and the long shadow he cast over Christianity. Our topics will include... It's it's six episodes, it looks like. So we're going to start today with the history of Paul. Okay. So we start with the history of Paul. Then we will do Vessels of Wrath, which is Paul's strange explanation of evil. Strange doesn't cover it. If I was going to be less respectful, I would say bonkers. Bonkers. Uh, His attitude towards women in the church, which we've seen a sample. It's bad. Doctrines on gay inclusion in the church. Also bad. Which are basically no inclusion. Paul's troubled relationship with Judaism. And an overview of everything that we've learned. And we'll try to put it all together because it's an awful lot. So, to start with, do you know anything about him? Apparently his name wasn't even Paul. No, it wasn't. That was his his street name. His name was Saul, originally. He may have been named after King Saul, the first king of Israel, who was an equally problematic man who did lots of bad things. Like King Saul, he was a member of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Roman citizen and had a Latinized name, Paul. That name was mostly used when addressing a Gentile audience. Okay, so at home he was Saul, in the streets he was Paul. Right, exactly. Paul in the streets... Saul in the sheets. <laughs> I would not put it that way. But okay. <laughs> so he grew up in Tarsus, an ancient city of what's now Turkey. I think that's a bone in your foot. That's a metatarsal. Oh, whoops. Okay. It's a metatarsal, so it's a, a tarsal that's about tarsals. Ooh, meta. So, so he... he okay. <laughs> right, so he grew up in Tarsus which is now in Turkey. It was considered an academic center, and Paul was a product of its educational system. He was a proud and pious Jew who came from a family who leaned into the Pharisee interpretation of the Hebrew Scriptures. He was sent from Tarsus to Jerusalem to uh, receive his formal education from Gamaliel. I'm saying that with a Spanish inflection because that's how I heard it. And he was a, a teacher of enormous reputation who lived in Jerusalem. So... His there family a, couldn't even stand him, send him away to school. But here's one this element that... This insufferable know-it-all, I can't take it, get him out of here. There was no, Well, he, and he does come across as a very insufferable Which means know-it-all. he was well off. Right. See, now, well, living in Jerusalem, he found that members of the Christian church, all loyal Jews, were worshipping at synagogue and making new converts. He resented them. It might have been, and you can tell me what you think, that as a foreign-born Jew, he was anxious to show his devotion to his ancestral faith. Like, coming from Turkey into this religious community and having this very famous religious teacher, he was trying too hard to be included in the, the, the faith in Jerusalem. And so he overdoes it. He overcompensates. But, yeah, it's weird because just hang... Like, wait a minute. So... Oh, I see. Christians were worshiping at synagogue because there weren't mm. churches. There yet. weren't churches. There were houses that people met in occasionally, but it wasn't usually women's houses. It was women's houses, uh, widows generally. Yeah, um, and that's one of the reasons why uh, we learned that it was very important to the early church to to minister to the needs of widows and also orphans. And I imagine that in a war-torn country, here's what I want to know. Uh-huh. When was he born? I'm not sure that I know. Like, that. how long after Jesus are we talking about? Not very long after at all. 
like was he do was he alive oh, yes, when he Jesus was, was crucified? He was alive when Jesus crucified. Okay. We don't know if he had any kind of or if he arrived in Jerusalem before or after that happened. Okay. But to give you an idea of when this happened, um this is gonna sound strange. He participated in the death of the first Christian martyr. That's how far back it was. Okay. So, so it was right they they were overlapping right. for sure. And when when you when you would when when a young man would have uh, been sent to Jerusalem to receive formal religious education, would that be just post like bar mitzvah? Would that be just I at that there's, age? There's not. It, what's interesting is that there's not really a great deal of background on historical Paul. Okay. And he uh, he lets out details in his letters. At times, it seems like it's hard to construct a timeline because it seems contradictory at times, what he's saying. Oh, no. Um, None of it's true. And it you could be that he was getting older. It could be that he was... Like, I just wonder when you send him. someone off for a formal religious education, from what I know of, you know, current, like... Yeah. Current Judaism, you have your bar mitzvah when, bar mitzvah when you turn 13, and that makes you a man... Presumably then, that would have been a time when you would go to start your apprenticeship or whatever it mm-hmm. is that you're going to be doing, getting for formal education. Or or uh, it, was it closer to like 18 or 20? Uh, Seems like it's probably younger. Yeah. He but, was, but we don't know. And that might explain part of the reason why he was had this fanatical drive to preserve the faith in a way that would please his teachers. It was like a kid. Looking for acceptance from them. Yeah. Whatever the reason, he personally participated in the execution of uh, the young apostle, Stephen. After that, he became an active member of the hunt to uh, expose Christians. Wait, when you say personally participated, did he throw a stone? Did he, he light a fire? was the coat check. Oh, okay. Well, so it was like an usher or whatever. And he's okay. yelling encouragement. Apparently. What... what what happened to Stephen? He was stoned to death Stop. for okay. preaching in the synagogue. But again, he but, was making new converts, and that gotcha. was what was most frustrating to Paul, apparently. Well, it is a little bit ballsy to go into a different religion's house of worship mm-hmm. and preach a different but it religion. Wasn't a different religion at the time. It was a sect of Judaism. Okay. See, right? I didn't realize that. It was not considered a separate religion, and interestingly enough, as we go forward you'll see where Paul really plays a huge part in that separation. In that separation. Um, Was Paul in the argument of whether you had to convert to Judaism to become a Christian? Yes. What was his... Um, He, in the very beginning, was very pro-Judaism, and then after a while, having no support from other Jews with his level of education, he decided to... uh, That's when he called it his religious education fertilizer. And told Jews that wanted because there was a moment when um, Jewish Christians wanted Gentiles to get circumcised, right, like and, regardless of their age, yeah, right. And his response was, "Well, why don't you just cut the whole thing off?" He got very crabby as he got older, which is why there's going to be a separate episode just dealing with the fact that he's not respected in, like, for instance, um, in Islam, they believe that. Paul created Christianity, effectively. Right. And it's a false religion because Paul created it, not Jesus. Not Jesus. Jesus is the greatest prophet next to Muhammad in their belief. Um, and so... Yeah, but he just didn't finish that whole building of a religious thing. Well, religious they, they thing. believe that Jesus occupies to them the same place, or comparative place, that John the Baptist occupies in Christianity, where there was one person heralding the other person. Okay. Um, but, I mean, that's an oversimplification, but that's right. a, a good right. parallel to hang on to. Yeah. But, uh... 
But yeah, Paul is not respected in Judaism. He's not respected in, despite the fact that he had this extraordinary education. Um, he's not respected in, uh, in other religions that cross paths with Christianity or that share that same sort of background. Uh, and only Christianity and really mostly Protestant Christianity puts him on a pedestal. Interesting. Uh, anyway. He's a saint. Yes. He's still a saint. So. I mean, once you become a saint, can they unsaint you? Can they decanonize you? No, I don't know that. Okay. I don't know which part of the church would unsaint him because, you know, he's considered a saint to both Protestants and Catholics. After that, he became an active member of the hunt to expose Christians. He inveigled his way into the priestly community and even got a license from the high priest in Jerusalem to arrest and imprison Christians in neighboring communities, bringing them to Jerusalem for judgment and possible execution. Now, this tells you how close it was to... So he's like an inquisitor? Yes. <laughs> this tells you how close to it was to Jesus' lifetime. It was only a few years from Jesus' resurrection to Paul's conversion. Right. Just a few years, because the same people were in charge of the temple. Okay. The ones that had been responsible for executing Jesus. So, on one of these hunting trips, a trip to Damascus, he has a vision of Christ. As he neared Damascus on his journey... Suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Paul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind, and did not eat or drink anything. Acts 9, 3 through 9. So, you've heard the expression, road to Damascus, or yes. Damascene conversion, which is... Uh, he definitely did eat or drink something in three days, or he would have died. <laughs> Just go ahead. There's um, <laughs> what it's explaining, or what that term means, because uh, it's crept into everyday speech, is having somebody who's a staunch adversary have this experience that turns them into... A conversion, right. Right. This extreme conversion, because it seems like he just went with the same speed in the opposite direction. Right. So he struck blind and remains that way until he reaches Damascus and is helped along by a man named Ananias, who was warned to find Paul in a dream. He effects a miraculous cure for Paul and becomes an ardent, who becomes an ardent evangelist of the same religion he was uh, persecuting. So what happened to Ananias? Um, not, the story doesn't follow him afterwards. Even what's, though he definitely saved... <sighs> so it's interesting is also, there's another expression that's fallen to meaning. He cures St. Paul, and he says the scales fell from his eyes. Oh, and we yeah. And he did that one a lot. So did his eyes actually scale over? Um, like is that what that means? Like and were burned or something? That's yeah. what the impression, the picture that yeah. you're supposed to get. Yes, it sounds horrible. So... Paul became a missionary preaching to far-flung corners. He made three excursions, reaching the Christian communities, teaching, creating new ideas about how to run the church, and gathering monies to fund new missionary expeditions. He's like a VC. Twenty years after persecuting the new faith, he becomes a victim of a mob of angry Jews who accuse him of defiling the synagogue by inviting Gentiles. This causes a riot. It's broken up by Roman soldiers, and they arrest everyone involved, including Paul. There's a trial, and the mob that uh, first attacked him is present. It's very much like the circumstances of Jesus' execution, but Paul has a trick to pull, to appeal, as any Roman citizen has the right, to Roman laws rather than Jewish ones. 
This was ultimately unsuccessful in preventing his death sentence, but he prevented it long enough to continue long disciplinary letters to the churches he helped found. That's what makes up his Paul's teachings. Teaching. These letters to churches, Christian churches, some of them very So he wrote a bunch of letters mm-hmm. that got basically added to the canon mm-hmm. of, of, of... The New Testament. Uh, no, no, no. But first, Christian writings. Right. And then when they were assembling the New Testament, they put them in there. Yes. That doesn't sound like divine inspiration no, to me. It doesn't. And, and so... <laughs> it, just, it just does. That's not right. what it sounds like. It does... In talking to another friend about this, uh, a church friend, we talked about how Paul seemed so important growing up. But realizing that James was the brother of Jesus, whether that was meant to be metaphorical or physical, that St. Peter was in charge of the church at Rome. So the only way that Paul had these distinctions was preaching to churches way far flung out in the far, far Africa. Flung. Well, he got as far, he might have gotten as far as Spain, which is unusual, but anywhere where there was a Roman outpost, he was going to be there. Whether it was Antioch or Corinthia, or Corinth, I'm sorry, Corinth. Corinth. Rich Corinthian leather. Um, yes. Uh, Corinth, and so those letters that you're seeing, Ephesus, you know, that's letter to the Ephesians, that's where he was. He was in Corinth. He was in, and he did write a letter to the Romans, which is probably his most problematic of all. Oh, cool. Because he tries to set up Christian theology based on what he felt was the will of God expressed through the Old Testament. And he comes up with some very strange ideas. That uh, citation about homosexuality that we just read came out of there. Okay. Idol worship, God gives up on people, and they become homosexual. You didn't start, you should have started with the idol, idol worship right. quote, though. But I may go back in and he, plug it in. He has, um, he's going to be troubled because there's a lot of Christian doctrine nowadays, especially in the Protestant church, that just embraces him. And he, uh, he's not always likable. <laughs> Uh, no, I haven't liked him at all yet, so right. maybe sometimes is he likable? Um, sometimes he <laughs> seems to be likable, but he also seems to be a person who's very self-important. And well, yeah. we have a lot of stories from his point of view, while the other disciples are keeping the faith going, being arrested, being martyred. Saint Paul. I don't know why we don't know what happened to Ananias, who saved his butt. Right. Like... Well, you put that person on a pedestal. So we have Go the, ahead, the feel Gospels, free. Right? And one of them is written by Luke, who is a Greek physician, who was uh, like a helper to St. Paul, a protege. He had several in his lifetime. And the idea... Interesting, young men that would do whatever he well, wanted. Part of the issue was that he seemed to be physically ill the rest of his life. Like, despite the fact that the scales fell from his eyes... He seemed to have been plagued by health problems for quite a bit afterward. The shame Jesus was dead already. <laughs> it really helped him out. What if he had a better relationship with some of the other apostles? Because they didn't like him. Um, one of the apostles, and we'll cover that later, uh, wrote a letter, or the letters attributed to him, where he directly contradicts Paul's teaching. And Peter and Paul did not get along often. Mm-hmm. They, you know, Peter did not care for his. Peter knew Jesus. Paul did not, and so that was there was a, a sort of um, an issue with him assuming this mantle of apostleship when he was not there. 
And this was only a few years later of that, so there were plenty of people alive who knew Jesus and would have been much better in that position. But it seems almost at times as if Paul's a self-appointed apostle. He keeps elevating himself into the position of importance that Peter and some of the others had. I see. Okay. But yes. Um, so for the next, for this episode and the following five, yes, we're going to do... We're going to call Paul. Right. It's going to be a little bit difficult at times. I anticipate you may throw things at me. Uh, well, not at you. Only at him. We'll have to put a little effigy that I'll be able right. to light or something. But it's, it's, he's very complicated because he wrote some very beautiful things sometimes, but a lot of times he was just insistent that we have to carry on this kind of a safe Christianity that wasn't as dangerous or as... Um, world-changing. At one point, he writes a scripture about how all governments in the world are put there by God and are in authority, and that it's your job to follow the rules of those governments, regardless of what they're doing. And that, to me, was one of the more dangerous things he ever said, because it's been used to justify the silence of Protestant churches during uh, during the uh, the rise of the Nazi party. Mm. And it's been used in other places in the mm. world to say, well, the government is in charge. Look, it says here in the Bible. And, um, yeah, and then, of course, the persecution of homosexuals, based on his scripture, his work has done more wrong for yeah. people in the world. And yeah. actually, as we said in the beginning of this particular it's, episode... It's detrimental to the church today. It is to this day. It's harming the church. And one of the reasons that ter- people turn away from the church is because of the writings of this guy. I don't know that we can cancel him effectively. <laughs> I mean, I don't, but I don't there know that is, we have the capability. We don't have the power. We have to reconsider a lot of what he said about when we're moving forward, are we following Jesus or are we following Paul? And they're not one and the same. That brings us to the end of this week's episode. If you like it, please subscribe and leave us a review and share it with a friend. We have an internet at home without worksPodcast.com. Our show notes and links to stories we talk about can be found there. We're also reachable at withoutworkspod at gmail.com, on Twitter at withoutworkspod, and on Facebook at withoutworkspodcast. All that information and direct links are on the website as well, so go there and have a look around. I've been Amity. He's been Lemuel. We urge you to get vaccinated and do something good. <laughs>